It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a snowy Thursday. Hopefully that's the last time I have to say that here for the rest of a while. Anyway, Scott in here with you along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield. And Susan, I believe you are in that uh, area of snow, are you not? Or are you a little north of that? Nope, I'm in it. Yeah, so in it. Congratulations. And so are Thanks. we. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I've already lost my garden already once. So. Oh, really? Ugh. Yeah, my, my, my early early spring stuff that's supposed to be pan, with handle, with, I can't even talk, can handle the frost, did not. So. Did, did, did proper Improper advertising on that one, apparently. Okay. Well. Yeah, no kidding. And what do you got for us today? Well, we're going to, despite the snow that's happening, we're going to get excited about an event that's coming up. Uh, Terry Henney, of course, with the Nebraska LEAD program sits down with Shanley Peters as they get ready to look for that next class. So he'll be bringing you all up to date on that. Then Brandon Bennett will step in at 1245 as he speaks with the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum about the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the Negro Leagues and the twist of fate that led them to meet in Kansas City. So I'm not going to give it all away, but find out more at 1245. And then I'll wrap it up at 117. As Congressman Adrian Smith had a news conference yesterday, and he highlighted a lot of issues going on in ag right now. So we'll get his thoughts as we move towards the rest of the midday. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. You got a chance to talk to... Uh, Big dog there at UNL and see what's going on. Huh? Yeah, and your President Ted Carter yesterday was asked about you know, when he thinks or what the chances are of there potentially being a fall sports season for Division One sports. We've got his thoughts on that, and he has an interesting take. Mm. I think folks will like to hear that. Also, we'll hear from Nebraska men's basketball coach Fred Oyberg. He signed five transfers yesterday. One of them, really the top guy that stands out or people know about, is Teddy Allen because uh, he spent some time at Boys Town. And Teddy oh, has yeah. bounced around a little bit. Uh, he went to West Virginia. That didn't work out. Uh, he couldn't handle things with Greg Marshall, Wichita State. So he then ended up at Scott's Bluff, played Juco ball last year, and led the country at 31 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists per game. Teddy can play. There is, there is no question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question will be, how does he mesh with his teammates, and can he follow rules and decide to be a part of a program? But if he can, Fred Hoiberg's got himself a difference maker. One year of eligibility. He's with got him. two left. He's got so, two, I believe. Yeah. So okay. Teddy could make a difference. Uh, we get the thought, Coach Hoiberg. He's pretty excited about these five transfers. I know a year ago everyone was excited about all the guys they'd grab. But I, year year two will be better. Okay. Well, then it can't be much worse. Well, I was going to say <laughs> you're setting the bar pretty low. <laughs> all right, thank you, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan now. Stocks interestingly down. The Dow Jones is down 200 points, but the tech heavy Nasdaq actually up 30 points. Things are kind of mixed right now uh, in trading after the government reported that 5.2 million people, uh, 5.2 million more people filed for unemployment benefits last week. So that was kind of a damper on things. The wave of layoffs that has engulfed the U.S. economy since the coronavirus struck caused those folks to seek unemployment benefits. Uh, meanwhile, U.S. home building activity collapsed in March. Um, lots of folks not feeling uh not feeling it as the coronavirus spread and uh, so not a lot going on in that area 
right. details on the on those stories coming up. All right. Very good. Thank you. That's all coming up on Mid. Protect yourself and others from COVID-19. Nebraskans can help protect themselves from the coronavirus and other respiratory infections by staying home if you are sick and avoiding close contact with those who are sick. Washing hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. If soap and water aren't available, use an alcohol-based sanitizer. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. For more information, visit krvn.com. Well, time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here again on what I'd like to like to say for the last time a snowy morning <laughs> exactly i think i think we may be in the clear at okay. least for a few weeks here in our right. long-term outlook we get past this system things are really really looking good when you look at uh, the radar right now and it, and we've seen some pictures it looks like grand island is kind of the epicenter for this in nebraska right now maybe huh? exactly yeah from about just uh, northeast of lexington right around the Kearney area on towards grand island in york and then south into southeast Nebraska, some heavier amounts of snow. Looks like that's probably, though, falling as some rain as you do head into sure. southeast Nebraska. But the bulk of the heavier precipitation for the time being from about north of Kearney to Grand Island, New York, and then towards Seward, uh, Crete, and then Beatrice and Falls City. But also some snow we're watching in the Nebraska Sand Hills towards Hyannis and towards the Brown Lee area. It's kind of lighter as you head to the southeast of that, but more snow is coming out of the uh, southeast part of Wyoming into the southwest part of the Nebraska Panhandle. So not quite yet done because more of the snow is into northern Colorado, and this will be gradually moving towards the east. It's interesting that there's that there's a winter storm warning for the Panhandle, and then one for the Lincoln area. You don't see that where it's so spread like that. Exactly. I'm guessing basically that system is moving through at a time when it's going to start chilling down, and yep. that's when a lot of that precipitation will be moving through uh, portions of southeast Nebraska. But right now, a little bit of a break in the snow in many southwest and south central areas is in Nebraska, maybe just some light flurries and activity there, but a lot of the snow is currently along and north of the line from Ogallala to North Platte, Kearney, Hastings, and the Superior Air. Then it does turn over to rain as you head into southeast Nebraska and eastern Kansas. Looks like some pretty good rain and even some thunderstorms to the southeast of Concordia towards Manhattan, Kansas. But as we mentioned earlier, more snow also in the southwest Nebraska Panhandle and northern Colorado, and that will be gradually sliding towards the east. Our temperatures right now, much of Nebraska in the low and mid-30s, but into Kansas, temperatures are in the upper 30s to low 40s for the most part. Rundown of the advisories here, winter weather advisory in effect along and north of I-80 today. That's where the main area of emphasis is with the system and where most of us have some kind of advisory. The northern edge of that advisory from Hyannis to Burwell and Blair, the southern edge from Grant to North Platte, Lexington, Kearney, Hastings, Beatrice, and Falls City, mainly once again along and north of I-80, except for into southeast Nebraska. Two to five inches of snow in the winter weather advisory area, along with northeast winds that will gust up to 25, cause some blowing snow. In western central Nebraska, this advisory is through 10 this evening because we could see some more snow move in. Eastern Nebraska, that advisory up until 7 tomorrow morning. 
Winter storm warning is still in effect from Tryon and Ogallala into the southern panhandle through 6 this evening as more snow is expected to move east. In eastern Nebraska, also a winter storm warning just for a small area, Lincoln to Papillion and Nebraska City up until 7 tomorrow morning in the winter storm warning area, expecting 4 to 8 inches of snow and north winds up to 25 with some blowing snow. We do have our latest snowfall forecast map on the Facebook page for KRVN. For today, snow and some rain remains likely across mainly the southern two-thirds of Nebraska and northern Kansas as an area of low pressure tracks across southern Kansas. Winds breezy today. Snow chances will decrease from northwest to southeast tonight when that low finally moves into Missouri. Tomorrow through Tuesday, though, looking dry with the warming trend as high pressure builds in from the west. Temperatures tomorrow will be 15 to 20 degrees cooler than normal, but then will warm to 10 degrees above normal by early next week. Thunderstorms also in the forecast for Tuesday through Wednesday morning, but don't look like they will be severe. In our long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the western and central U.S. Tuesday through April 29th. The outlook also indicates near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Tuesday through the 29th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Your soil temperatures at 7 this morning and 4 inches down in the low 30s across the northern third of Nebraska, the southern two-thirds of Nebraska with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 30s. And from extreme southwest Nebraska into Kansas, the soil temperatures in the low to mid-40s. In the regional drought monitor, Nebraska continues at just shy of completely drought-free, just some abnormal dryness in the southern portion of Cheyenne County towards Sydney. Kansas remains 91% drought-free, most of southwest Kansas in moderate to severe drought. Key weather factors impacting the market include snow and cold in the Midwest through the end of the week and a close watch on rain chances in wheat areas of Russia. The Midwest and Northern Plains continue to see a stop in field work from widespread wintry precipitation. And, of course, the temperature is much colder than normal. The Northern Plains will be drier and warmer in the next 10 days to offer improved chances for spring field work. Southern Plains rain chances increasing over the next seven days to offer some benefit for winter wheat. Temperatures also milder after dropping to damaging levels for jointing wheat early in the week. The Delta will see light rain the rest of this week, which may help with some planning progress. In the Black Sea region of Russia and Ukraine, rain is forecast to be light to moderate. Now that is a reduction from some earlier forecasts. It bears some watching due to a lack of precipitation so far since the 1st of March in Russia. Precipitation since the 1st of March, the lowest in 30 years. Hmm. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Well, it looks like, uh, you know, it's not often that you can say you got a, a winter storm warning one day and then 50-degree <laughs> high the next day. Exactly. You know, typical yeah. spring stuff. Yeah, that's the good thing about this time of year. It doesn't last long. Of course, the sunshine will really melt it tomorrow. And then uh, the road's really not a big issue with this system because the ground temperature is so warm and right. mainly just a sloppy mess out there. The, boy, the lawns are going to look really green after this, too, aren't Exactly, they? especially with that warming next week. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. Applications are officially open for Lead 40. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, and we're going to visit today with director of the Lead program. It's Terry Haney. And Terry, certainly interesting time for everyone right now. But uh, as far as Lead is concerned, let's get an update first on that Class 38. Of course, they were slated to finish off their program this spring when all of this kind of erupted. And also touch on applications have opened for Lead 40. 
Well, Shaley, it's always good to talk with you and, and your friends there at KRBN who support the Nebraska LEAD program and have since our very beginning. But just a quick update for your listeners. LEAD 38 was in their second year. This is the group that traveled to Costa Rica and Brazil in January. Uh, we brought them into campus on March 12th. Of course, that afternoon then, that was the day that President Carter, new president of the University of Nebraska, uh, started shutting stuff down. Uh, so what we did is we canceled their Friday seminar and the Friday evening recognition banquet, you know, trying to do our part to flatten this curve, get people home, get them self-distanced, and, and get them out of Lincoln. Uh, we were able to send them off in, in, in fine fashion on that Thursday evening with a dinner at their hotel. Uh, you know, this class deserved better than that, but what was going on, it was the best that we could do. Uh, super, super, super great class uh, of future leaders. They're going to make a big impact. Uh, here in Nebraska, some of them already are. Some of them are starting their future of, of servant leadership. And uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully when things slow down, maybe I can get together with them this summer and give them a better send-off even. But uh, another great group. And then, of course, we're recruiting full bore for LEAD 40, um, which is a, a, um, an amazing number to say, LEAD 40. We're recruiting. Uh, the application deadline is June 15th in this class. Uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, We'll start this fall, September of 2020. So that's where we're at right now, Shaley. Terry, if you would, maybe break down what LEAD looks like. It's a two-year program. What the schedule looks like for someone who may be interested in applying. I sure will. And, you know, for your listeners that may not be familiar with the program, um, you know, this would be a great time to do that. And here's what happens. Once they're uh, accepted into the program, uh, the first year they will study local, state, and national issues. And they will have uh, six three-day seminars that first year that occur around the state of Nebraska. Each one of these seminars are theme-based, and like I said, this is local, state, national issues. And that first year, Shaley, also includes 10 days to Kansas City, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Uh, this is an opportunity for LEAD fellows to meet and, and interact with uh, those uh, in business industry and in our government that uh, influence uh, policy and agriculture and in other areas. And so that's the first year, starts mid-September. We typically finish that first year towards the end of March, early April. And then we give them a break. Uh, you know, they've got things to do, whether they're farmers, ranchers, or ag business people. Uh, so we, I won't see them again, that uh, class, until uh, about the third week in September. And we'll meet uh, at Shadron State College, and that's always a very mon monumental a seminar because uh, that second year when we start that off, we build on that first year studies, but we also uh, start to introduce our global component. And that's where we uh, announce where the destination for their international study, study travel seminar will be. So that second year, six more three-day seminars theme-based across the state, plus 14 to 16 days internationally. And all right. Thanks so much, Terry. Terry Haney, he is the director of the Nebraska LEAD program. We do have more information up on our website, ruralradio.com, for those of you that may be interested in applying. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, the major college football conference commissioners held a 30-minute conference call yesterday with Vice President Mike Pence, stressing that college sports cannot return from the coronavirus shutdown until campuses have reopened. University of Nebraska President Ted Carter thinks eventually things will bounce back, but it could take a while. I think it'll be a long time before we see what life was like uh, maybe a year ago. 
But I do think there are going to be return of professional sports to some level and certainly NCAA sports. Now, whether that means college football starts being played in the last week of August, first week of September, or maybe even November, I think there'll be a lot of new ideas for how to make sure that we keep competitive spirit, uh, the brand of all of our colleges and universities. Uh, we as Americans love our athletics. Athletic directors and school presidents have stressed that some kind of football season is vital for athletic departments to survive going forward. Nebraska head basketball coach Fred Hoiberg signed five transfers yesterday. One of those players who's expected to make an immediate impact is forward Teddy Allen. And Hoiberg says he'll bring a lot to the team. Uh, he'll play all over the floor for us just because of his ability to score the basketball. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of a, a true combo forward player. Uh, he averaged seven and a half rebounds, uh, you know, as, as a uh, mostly small forward. So that's a very impressive number and also almost four assists. Uh, you know, the great thing about it is, you know, a lot of times when players are volume shooters, they don't shoot great percentage, but Teddy was a 51% uh, shooter overall. Hoiberg made his comments last night on the Husky Sports Network. Allen averaged over 31 points per game at Western Nebraska Community College last year. The key will be, can he follow team rules and stay a part of the team? Allen already has had stops at West Virginia and Wichita State, where things didn't work out. The Nebraska Shrine Bowl will not be played on June 6th in Kearney. Players and coaches were notified this week that the game is being postponed due to the pandemic. If conditions improve, July 11th or July 18th are possible dates for the game to still be played in Kearney. And Heisman Trophy winner Eric Crouch was announced as the sixth and final member of this year's Nebraska Athletic Hall of Fame class. The Nebraska football team finished with a 55-9 and record in Crouch's five seasons on campus. He was a redshirt freshman on the Huskers' undefeated 1997 national title team, and then he led Nebraska back to the national championship game as a senior in 2001. He was the 2001 Heisman Trophy winner and a two-time Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year in 1999 and 2001. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. The Nebraska Bankers Association says lending institutions across the state have been processing a staggering amount of applications under the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. The organization says that as of the close of business this past Monday, Nebraska banks have processed more than 18,500 applications, totaling more than $2.7 billion. NBA President and CEO Richard Byer says the money meant to help keep workers employed and small businesses afloat is starting to roll out the doors. We now have banks who have received approval from the SBA and they're starting to make payments to their small business customers. So the banks are funding loans across the state and I've talked to banks in urban and rural as well as east and west and I think our members are really actively trying to get dollars out the door. Byer tells the Rural Radio Network it's been and all hands on deck for lending institutions across the state from the first day applications were accepted for the program, in which the loans can become fully forgivable. He says it's been a monumental undertaking, but Nebraska's bankers are committed to helping their customers during a difficult economic situation. A central Nebraska county with a major meatpacking plant and a lot of nursing homes and manufacturing facilities now has more coronavirus cases than any other county in the state. 
Hull County confirmed 278 cases on Wednesday, surpassing the 263 known cases in Omaha's Douglas County, even though Douglas County has nearly nine times as many residents. Nebraska's unemployment claims have fallen from their recent record highs, but were still far above average last week. The U.S. Department of Labor reports that Nebraska residents filed 16,391 new claims during the week that ended April 11th, down from around 27,000 the week prior. The executive director for the State Employees Union delivered more than 1,600 petitions on Wednesday to Governor Pete Ricketts office, asking that he give all state workers permission to work from home if their jobs allow it. The petitions also called for an extra $2 an hour hazard pay for those who have to go to the workplace during the COVID-19 pandemic. Justin Hoobly with the Nebraska Association of Public Employees said the governor needs to do something to protect employees. Rickett says about 30% of state employees are working from home, but others need to come in and do certain work, like processing unemployment benefits. We have had more people apply for those unemployment benefits since March 1st than we did in the previous two years combined. Those are Nebraskans that are hurting. They need our help. We got to process those applications. We got to get those checks out. Some of that work has just got to be done in the office. Ricketts said employees who think they could work from home could talk to their supervisor and see if there's a possibility. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network. We might not be able to play baseball, but that won't stop us from talking baseball. And we're joined once again by Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Bob, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the Negro Leagues. Give us the history of the Negro Leagues, both in terms of Rube Foster's League that began there at the YMCA in downtown Kansas City in 1920, and then also the other Negro Leagues that existed over time, even dating back to the 1880s in Moses Fleetwood Walker. There had been black baseball being played in this country well before the establishment of the Negro National League formed here in Kansas City in 1920. And the thing that had hurt black baseball is that it just did not have that needed organized establishment. It was too haphazard. And so you had all these independent black baseball team owners out there trying to get games. And you had actually a couple of failed attempts to even do a Negro League. But it really did not anchor itself until 1920. That goes back to the late 1800s. So there's always been this long-standing history of an African-American experience as it relates to our national pastime. But it didn't get that organized body until 1920, when Andrew Rube Foster led a contingent of eight independent black baseball team owners into Kansas City. They meet at the Purcell YMCA. The Purcell YMCA is just right around the corner from where the Negro League Museum operates today. As a matter of fact, we are now in the process of saving that old historic landmark and converting it into the future Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center. So we're looking forward to expanding our operations right back into the very building that gave birth to the story we're now charged with preserving. But that is where Rube Foster and that contingent of eight independent black baseball team owners met in 1920. And out of that meeting came the birth of the Negro National League, the first successful organized black baseball league. The Negro Leagues then remarkably would go on to operate for 40 years 
from 1920 until 1960. Well, as you can well imagine, that surprises a lot of people because most can relate the fact that Jackie Robinson breaks baseball's color barrier in 1947. Well, 13 years after Jackie breaks the color barrier, the Negro Leagues are still operating. Why? Because it took Major League Baseball 12 years before every Major League team had at least one black baseball player. The Boston Red Sox would become the last team to integrate in 1959 when they signed the late Elijah Pumpsey Green. By 1960, the Negro League ceased operations because, as you can well imagine, the best young black stars had now moved into the major leagues or into their minor league systems. And so there was no replenishing systems, and so the leagues dissolved. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network and our annual interview with Mr. Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Why was it in Kansas City at the YMCA in 1920? I mean, what was it about Rube Foster in Kansas City that started it then? Originally, the meeting was supposed to take place in Indianapolis. And you have to understand that the original eight teams that formed the Negro National League were all Midwestern-based teams. And so the original meeting was supposed to take place in Indianapolis, and it got canceled. Thank goodness. And when they rescheduled it, they decided to bring it to Kansas City. We don't know why the meeting was ultimately canceled. I'm just glad that it was because it changes the entire story. This museum could have very well been in Indianapolis, and you and I likely would not be talking now. And so I'm glad for whatever the reason was, they moved the meeting to Kansas City here at Historic 18th and Vine. And the Purcell YMCA was completed in 1914. Six years later, Foster convenes that meeting here in Kansas City. And, of course, the great Kansas City Monarchs were one of the charter members of the original eight teams established in 1920 when they formed the Negro National League. April 15th and the anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier this year will be the 73rd anniversary of that event. What is it about Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier that still holds a very special place in the American consciousness? The simple answer is baseball, America's national pastime, because the NFL had actually broken its color barrier before Major League Baseball. And the NBA was a little bit later on. But those sports were more or less collegiate sports. Jackie Robinson might have been the best basketball player in the country. But if you were going to make a living, really make a living, playing a professional sport in this country, you played baseball. Because, again, it was our national pastime. And in many ways, baseball superseded our society. You know, while baseball had been vilified for not allowing blacks to play in its league, when it opened its door to Jackie Robinson, our country literally followed suit. And Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement in this country. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. This is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was just a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signs his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. So for all intensive purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country. Baseball. And our country, as I said, literally jumped on the coattail of baseball. And I think that's why that 
historic occasion is so revered. That was Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, celebrating the 100th anniversary here in 2020 of the Negro National Leagues, founded in the YMCA in downtown Kansas City. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. The question the KRVN crew gets most, when are you going to call my initials? For more than 65 years, we've been spinning that monogram money wheel to give you a chance to match your lucky name to our lucky letters. Simple rules, great winnings, awarding more than $200,000 over the course of our rich history. And we won't be satisfied until you're a winner. Mornings with Paul Perkins, afternoons with Brandon Bennett's, Saturday mornings too. Yep, we're still spinning for winning on monogram money, 880-KRVN. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been mixed in trading on Wall Street after the government reported that 5.2 million more people filed for unemployment benefits last week. The number was not quite as many as had been feared. The claims came as layoffs sweep the country because of widespread business shutdowns and stay-at-home orders issued in response to the coronavirus outbreak. The wave of layoffs that's engulfed the U.S. economy since the coronavirus struck caused 5.2 million more people to seek unemployment benefits last week. Roughly 22 million have sought jobless benefits in the past month, easily the worst stretch of U.S. job losses on record. All told, roughly 12 million people are now receiving unemployment checks, roughly matching the peak reached in January 2010, shortly after the Great Recession officially ended. U.S. home building activity collapsed in March as the coronavirus spread with housing starts tumbling 22.3% from a month ago. The Commerce Department says groundbreakings occurred last month at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.2 million units, down from a 1.56 million pace in February. The government's Paycheck Protection Loan Program for Small Businesses is on hold. The Small Business Administration says it has reached the $349 billion lending limit for the program. Thousands of small business owners whose loans have not yet been processed must now wait for Congress to approve a Trump administration request for another $250 billion for the program. Lawmakers have been haggling over whether to extend the program as it stands now or whether to add provisions that, among other things, would help minority businesses. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Nebraska Congressman sharing his thoughts on what's happening in agriculture right now. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Yesterday, Congressman Adrian Smith, who represents the 3rd District, spoke to journalists about what's been happening across the nation as he talks about agriculture and food supply. Uh, we, we cannot jeopardize our food supply. It is beyond critical that our producers have the resources they need to continue feeding our country uh, during this time. Currently, there are increasing concerns about cattle prices and the impact that follows, ultimately the impact uh, to consumers. And despite the crucial role our cattle producers play in feeding our nation, they are actually now having to weather these low prices and market volatility and, and among other constraints uh, that, uh, that are currently taking place. So uh, we owe a great deal of thanks to our producers for helping feed America, and uh, we, we must act quickly. That's why the Nebraska delegation, as well as 
100 other members of Congress. I wrote a letter to USDA Secretary uh, Purdue urging implementation of assistance for producers as quickly as possible. So there are things currently underway. It's in the uh, policy pipeline, uh, making sure that the details are working out are getting worked out, but uh, certainly time is of the essence. I know that we need to ensure our biofuels industry is not left behind as well. Recent years, demand for ethanol has been at record levels. However, uh, the stay-at-home orders right now have taken a drastic toll on fuel consumption in general. And uh, with that, uh, demand for ethanol production has followed suit. I know that our ethanol producers, through no fault of their own, are now faced with severe market disruptions and possible closures of plants. So uh, this is this is a concern, and uh, that's why my colleagues and I uh, have have expressed these concerns to to Ag Secretary Purdue. So. With that, I'll open it up to your questions. Again, if you identify yourself and your organization. Congressman Smith also shares his thoughts about the issues that we've been seeing as of late in the beef market. That's live cattle versus box beef prices. Well, that, that is a challenge. And, and I think we should all be concerned when we have, uh, you know, declining prices for producers and increasing prices for consumers. And and that is, uh, I, I think that's a concern that a lot of us have. And, you know, there were concerns, like you mentioned, uh, following the Holcomb fire. And now things have been exacerbated uh, with closure of various plants, uh, certainly reduced capacity uh, amidst higher demand. <clears throat> these are these are the concerns uh, that, that we all have. And I uh, appreciate being able to talk to producers. Bottom line is we need more bidders and, and uh, more bidders uh, at these markets. And, and it's hard for uh, the government to just uh, provide more bidders. I mean, that, that is not a feasible scenario at, at this point. Uh, that, that's why I think continuing to get this information and, and hearing from producers, uh, I appreciate. And uh, certainly amidst the realization that these are not there's not an easy solve here, uh, but uh, we, we do need to make sure that there's transparency uh, throughout all of this, uh, all, all of the circumstances, so that producers can have access to more information and ultimately uh, consumers uh, are, are kept in mind as well. That's Congressman Adrian Smith. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Network. I'm talking now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we come to the close, May corn held on to just that little half a cent gain up on the day. For the most part, we didn't get out the greatest export news this morning as well. The weather bowl for wheat starting to dry up a little bit. So where's the silver lining in today's trade? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I wish I had it for you. That's probably the best silver lining of it all, is that everybody's so certain prices need to be weak and we need to be down here. I think from a fundamental standpoint, it's easy to make the case. And I've been here a lot where we've been really bearish, either coming off a big crop year or, you know, prospects of big crops elsewhere, global demand slowing, and all of a sudden it just starts to rally. And you find out why it rallied, you know, two weeks after it rallied. So I think at this point the market's basically looking at, tremendous amount of supply looking to find a home over the next two weeks you know delivery periods is when it's kind of like uh, musical chairs when when the music stops everybody's got to find a place to put product or it goes into the market well 
you know, you're gonna find a lot of people not wanting to put it into the market at three dollars, but it's gonna cost to store it. So when you look at the cost of storing commodities, that's really a big part of this. Um, you know, looking at the crude oil market, for example, it costs almost as much to buy crude oil and hold it till the end of the fall than it does to actually buy the crude oil contract right now. So the, the carry costs are, are over what the cost of the commodity is, which is really, really interesting and something you don't see very often. We take a look at this U.S. dollar, and it's starting to move back away. It was kind of in that deflationary mindset. Now it's coming back around into more of this in, uh, inflationary where it's starting to move higher as well. Is this impacting those emerging currencies once again? No, well, I think the emerging currency story is running separate from the dollar index. I think the emerging currency story is, you know, the IMF basically. And I, I have, you know, tried to feel like I'm pretty intelligent on how these things operate, but, you know, even getting you to understand the benefits of, of the IMF, I have a hard time with it. Um, you know, I still don't understand what happens if they do or if they don't pay them back. Argentina faces a lot of default risk here um, with, with certain types of entities like the IMF, and, and that's why the currency is so weak. They're just simply printing money to try to pay that back. Eventually, it'll catch up on the production side, but right now it's just all about making their commodities more expensive, and that's going to keep production uh, in the field. But eventually, you know, these things tend to balance out. And again, I'm, I'm telling you what the weather is right now, what, it, what not what it'll be in two weeks, three weeks. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, their website, danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Please consider these risks before investing. And that'll do it for today's midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, in its podcast form, go to krvn.com or subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Davini Motor. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.